Hey everyone, welcome to the second panel of today's Mental Health Summit. We are talking all about love and relationships. And the funny thing is, is that I think that even though this is the middle of a Sunday at 1.30 Eastern time, I can't do math. I'm a therapist, so I'm not going to try to figure out the other times of the time zones. I really feel that the relationships with each other and ourselves is one of the most important things that have been impacted by COVID. And I think that I was super excited by all my panels. But I think this panel has the most uh, energy and uh, fun diversity of ups and downs of excitement and personalities and dress code. Um, so I'm super <laughs> pumped. We got the fancy from Rob Mack to the chill me, maybe two or three buttons down, um, you know, and everything in between. So before we get into it, I really want to just open the floor. But first, thank the speakers who are here. We're waiting on Jamie. When she shows up, she shows up. And really just from the bottom of my heart, thank you guys, because having an idea is different than it being a reality and making something a reality is super exciting, gives confidence, which means that this is probably going to happen at least once a year. I'm probably going to try to do a mental health summit in some sort and rotate the people that I truly admire into that somehow and um, hopefully be in person at some point in some cool location at some point. Who knows? You never know what the world's going to hold, but just this is just a start. This is a start, so I'm super pumped, so I appreciate you guys making this first one really exciting and really just saying yes. Uh, Too often, um, people say no, and that's okay, but the people that say yes, it's exciting, and really, uh, people who buy in and really mean something. So, let's just start off first. I also want to thank my wife, who literally got my daughter out of the house, um, and really uh, supportive, and, you know, go my wife. Um, And over the past couple of years, having the podcast, these amazing people have been on my show, the Dude Therapist, who have enlightened me, inspired me, moved me in all different ways. So I wanted to give back and give them the opportunity to share their voice to other people they might not get access to uh, in some way or another. And today's going to be an interesting conversation. So let's open the floor and start off with Jory. Can you please introduce yourself to everyone uh, and tell everyone who you are? And we're going to go around in no particular order. First off, thank you, Ellie, so much. I really am so happy to be here. And, you know, it's interesting what you said. So many times people say no. And I'm actually a yes person, generally, because I'm like, oh, ideas, great. I want to be involved. And I've learned to be much more discerning on my yes. But when you emailed me, it was a discerning yes. So I'm really happy to be here. And thank you so much for the platform you're creating and all the work that you're doing. I, I see you connected on so many levels to really wanting to just reach people, make an impact. So thank you for what you're doing. Uh, So I'm Joy Rose. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist. I live in the San Francisco Bay area. I am also a mindfulness and meditation teacher and author of a book, Year of Gratitude, that came out last year that, uh, you know, writing a gratitude book smack in the middle of the pandemic was Definitely something necessary for the world to receive, but also a great practice for me. Um, I am divorced. I actually married and divorced my high school sweetheart, who I started dating at 13 years old. And I've got two teenage daughters. My oldest is 18, who is going to be off to college in a couple of months. And my youngest is almost 16, who was supposed to be heading abroad to Israel in a week from today, but she decided to push it off for a semester. So very grateful for this extra time home with just my girls. And I 
found love after divorce in a way that I never thought I would. And I know um, my fiance and Ellie have a great relationship as well. And on Tinder of all places, but that's a great story of how I manifested that. But really the work that I do is I teach people how to get unstuck from whatever's not working in their lives. I know that sounds really, really broad and we all do that to some capacity, but my focus really is on mindfulness practice and how we can be more aware, more present, more curious, more compassionate, choose gratitude, loving kindness, have our attention and focus just in our own awareness of when we wander and ruminate in the past and when we go to the anxiety of the unknown future and fear what is yet to come. Mindfulness has changed my life and I'm just passionate about giving people the tools because especially right now in the midst of the pandemic, what I've been saying since day one is whatever was under a flashlight of awareness is now under a floodlight of awareness that we no longer can hide from the little things that were just under the surface. And I actually think it's been a great opportunity to get curious about ourselves and how do we really want to be living our lives So ultimately, in the work I do, I help people be in better relationship, better relationship to themselves, their inner mind, their intentions, better relationships with their partners. And I also do a lot of parenting work. So I'm excited to be here today. And thanks so much for having me. Okay, Rob, take it away. That was amazing. amazing. Um, Hi, I'm Rob Mack. I work as a positive psychology expert and practitioner, uh, celebrity happiness coach, and I'm an author. Um, so I'm an author of Happiness from the Inside Out and an upcoming book, Love from the Inside Out. Most of the work I do really is just aimed at helping people discover and deeper deepen their experience of something I always struggle with, which is happiness. I was uh, deeply depressed and seriously suicidal for over two decades. Had a suicidal experience, um, survived, and learned a lot in the process. So my work is really aimed at helping people live happier lives. And as a result of that, live much more uh, healthier and wealthier lives as well, right from the inside out. So thanks for having me. Awesome. Keyshawn, take it away. I'm just sitting here and I'm thinking about, you know, how, you know, a lot of things are, things are meant to happen. You know, we're supposed to be here and everybody's stories aligned to what they do right now. And to add my story, my story is, you know, what led me to what I do now as well. And it's just heartbreak. Um, I'm a heartbreak coach. I help men and women heal from relationships that weren't worth saving. Um, went through a, a you know a decade ago, went through a breakup similar to, um, you know, Rob's transition, you know, the decade thing. And I realized that um, now I wasn't happy, you know, um, and I needed to grow, you know, grow through what I'm going through and become a better person. I'm also an author as well. And I coach clients, you know, here and there, you know, people who need the services to help heal and the extra support. And, you know, that's me. Love it. I feel like I'll be, I gotta be an author then. I gotta, I gotta start writing, I guess. I've started to dabble. Writing is one of my biggest fears. Um, I'll do, I'll speak in front of millions of people rather than write a book or write an article any day. Literally, I'll fly on a plane, write the talk somewhere. Then have to write an article that t- would take me maybe, maybe 20, 30 minutes. Um, you just need to get those talks transcribed and there's your book. I know, right? There you go. That's Someone told me that, the note app, you know, to transcribe it. I got you, Jory. Don't worry. Um, uh, I got too many things going on for good things. Baby on the <laughs> way coming in a couple of weeks. So we're going to take a pause on that stuff because dreams don't die just because you took a pause on them. They can always happen in the future. Um, the first question I really have, because... 
both, uh, all three of you really touched on something about happiness, right? Finding happiness in some way or another, whether it was heartbreak, whether it's through depression, suicidal, either um, suicidal ideations or an actual suicide attempt or event slash divorce. So the first question I have, I'm going to throw it to Keyshorn is, is happiness real? What, what is that? You know, is it a myth? Is it something that's just talked about in Othello or some mythical fancy book that we read in high school? Or is it something that's actually practical in today's day and age? And that's question going to go to all you guys. So just take a beat and think about it. So Keyshawn, take away. Yeah, I will touch on and say, you know, happiness is real, you know, and happiness could be tangible as well. And it's an extension of joy, you know, and in order to, to find your happiness, you got to know what makes you unhappy and get rid of those things. You know, a lot of us, we're attached to the things that make us unhappy. And then it's hard to find happiness. It's hard to find joy. It's, it's hard to find peace because all of those things are extension. They're like cousins. They're like, kind of related. And I believe like once you tap into what joy really looks like, then extensions will be, you know, not too far behind. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Rob, all you. Yeah. Um, I completely love what Keishon said there. And I would say that only happiness is real. And for me, happiness is a synonym for love. I think when you're introverted, when you're happy and you're introverted and you're not sharing that happiness with anyone else, you're just enjoying yourself and your aloneness. I call it happiness or joy or bliss. When you share that happiness with other people in the world, I call it love. So extroverted happiness is love and introverted happiness is happiness. Um, but I think they're synonyms. They're not two different things there's two different ways or two different ways of looking at the same energy or the same experience and i think only that is truly real everything else and that doesn't mean that we'll have experiences of sadness or upset and overwhelm but i think underneath beyond beneath below and between all the experiences that we have from sadness all the way up to bliss is this peaceful aliveness that i would call happiness awesome jory I'm going to take a little bit of a different approach with my answer, and I'm going to bring it to the roots of mindfulness practice, which is Buddhist meditation practice, which is the question actually the Buddha was seeking to find is how can I have eternal happiness? Because he was as a young child, like the princess um, in Aladdin, where she was kept in a castle to prevent to see what was on the other side of the castle walls. The, the Buddha was the same. And when he one day jumped over the palace walls and found that death and disease and dying were a reality. And he thought he knew that we're all fated to that, maybe not the disease part, but at least, you know, death and old age, that how do I get happy right now? And so he sat on the Bodhi tree and said, I'm not going to get up till I figure this out. And ultimately, it's when we are the most present, we are the happiest. It's when our mind wanders to the past that we get stuck in that rumination that can lead to depression. And we start going, oh, I, if only, or, you know, I should have done something different that takes us out of the present moment. When we go to the future and say, what if, so it's if onlys or what ifs, that takes away our present moment experience. But when we can actually be present, it's not as bad as we think it is. It's all the other thoughts that take away from our joy in this present moment. And at the same time, I think happiness is is lovely, but it can also be a little bit of pressure for too many people. And in fact, some after I would lead a meditation group, I would often say to people, instead of have a good day, I would say have a day. Because sometimes the good day wasn't there. And then people can feel shame or guilt of I was really trying and I just didn't get there yet. So part of what I really teach is how do I accept all emotions as equal 
and knowing that happiness is definitely a goal, but if we don't achieve it, there's nothing wrong with us for not being able to get there. And even if you look at the movie Inside Out, like sadness was the heroine of the movie because without sadness, you don't know the joy. So I think it's in context of accepting all that is arising. And is it real? It's absolutely real. But I think it's something that we can cultivate with things like gratitude, being more present and experiencing love. I, you know, I agree, love. I think, you know, with Rob, that love is one of the pure joys of happiness expressed. But for people who aren't in relationship or who are lonely, that's going to be harder for them to be happy. So how do they cultivate self-love? Yeah, and a nice shout out to Inside Out. I know the the little wink at your your wonderful man over there. Um, uh, yes, I never finished the movie. You know, I, it got too long at some point. I'm sorry, it got too long at some point. I got lost. My ADHD. I'm like, this is taking too long. When? Where's the music? Where's the magic? Where's the Pixar? And then it was like, oh, okay. But um, really, it's really an amazing thing that happiness is such a drive, right? Even in the Constitution, it's pursuit of happiness, right? One of my favorite movies, Will Smith. Shout out to you, my favorite person in the world, um, if you're listening. Um, and in the end, the funny thing is, is that we're never promised happiness, but we chase it so much. And something that I, I've always wanted to ask, you know, the people who I'm having now, and I was thinking about questions is, people talk about shifting your mindset. Is it mindset? Is it reality? Is it changing people, changing yourself? When it has to do with that work, pursuing it, is that even part of it or is it just getting to the end goal? So Rob, that one's starting off with you. So I, um, boy, it's such a great, rich conversation. And I love what Jory said earlier there. And, um, you know, just to kind of start with that. I think when you look out into nature, like all of nature is blissful and joyful and happy, except for human beings. Like only people make a problem of their own existence. And yet all of living beings experience the same, you know, um, loss and accidents and death and misfortune and all of those things. But only people really make a problem out of all that, right? Because only people like pre-live and relive experiences over and over again. So it's so true that happiness is presence and presence is happiness. Now, um, and all of that being said, I would say that in the beginning of our happiness journey, it feels very much like happiness is something that you acquire, right? That's something you can consume or achieve or accomplish. And I think that's largely true, at least the beginning of our journey. So it's more of a sort of an action state. You know, we might even talk about flow state and, and, and whatnot. But as you move or you continue in your sort of happiness journey, you think you graduate from that and you come around to realizing that happiness is a lot to do with the people that you surround yourself with. So we know based on decades of empirical data and, um, research that relationships matter most when it comes to happiness from a scientific perspective, not romantic relationships, but all relationships, right? But then at some point, you even graduated from that because you realize and discover that no other person really place thing or activity is a reliable source of happiness for you in your life. The very person that made you so happy yesterday makes you miserable today and vice versa, right? So you graduate from a belief that happiness is a state of relationship. And you move into a place where you believe, or at least begin to experience that maybe the happiness is a state of mind. So you have this experience where I can make different decisions about the thoughts I think. I can tell myself a better, but better feeling, but truthful story about what's happening to me in my life. And you can feel better as a result of that. Optimistic thinking is a lot better than negative or pessimistic thinking for lots of um, reasons, right? That being said, we also then graduate from that because you can have experiences where even with the most positive thinking, you still feel underneath that this undercurrent of stress, anxiety, overwhelm, disappointment, lack of fulfillment, and dissatisfaction, right? So you graduate from this idea. It's a very popular one, and it's a, and for good reason, 
that happiness is a state of mind and come around to realizing that happiness is a state of being. And I would argue it's more a state of no mind, that you'll probably find yourself happiest, most tapped into and turned on, and at your creative best and even problem-solving best when you're not lost in discursive thought. I never thought of it that way. I want to just add a layer or like a question, maybe if someone wants to take it, Jory or uh, Keyshore, and up to you guys. Um, the idea then of if it's really that kind of thought process, depending on if you agree or not, and that's okay if you don't. Um, but the idea that we define ourselves by the relationships we have, right? I think that one of the biggest pains that has happened the past couple of years has been isolation, and isolation can lead to depression, anxiety, to severe loss and grief and pain of self. So why do we define, maybe this is just a newer thing or has been for years, that if I'm not in a relationship, I can't be happy? Why is that such a focus when it is about just a state of being? It doesn't mean being with someone, but a state of being with self. Why is it so focused? Why is happiness so focused when it comes to being in a relationship? I'll jump off on that one. And, you know, I, I think to I'll, I'll do both parts of what you had asked. I think happiness to me is an intention, not a goal. And the word versus, you know, the words goal versus intention was a little argument that my ex-husband and I used to get in all the time because he would say, what are your business goals? And I'm like, I don't have business goals. I have intentions. And he was a civil engineer. His mind was wired very differently than my psychological, mindful wiring, right? So because the reason I had such a negative reaction to the word goal is because if I didn't meet it, then somehow it feels like a sense of failure, right? And a goal is somewhat arbitrary. It's based on some thought that we had that we think is going to be the definition of our success, our happiness, our joy, our contentment, whatever it is, even financial goals. And to me, it's about an intention. And an intention keeps you very present moment focused. A goal is future focused. An intention is present moment focused. So if you're stuck with an intention, you could be consciously asking yourself, what can I be doing right now in this moment to step towards this intention? Am I living in alignment with the values and with my actions, which include awareness of my mind, noticing my thoughts? And if I'm aligned in those intentions, then the goal is going to come. But it also allows the path to curve, right? When I was 24 and got married, what the goal I thought my life was going to look like is very different than it looks now because I allowed the intention to be what drove me to allow the path to curve. And the second part of what you asked there, uh, you know, our brains are wired for connection, period. It's, it's how we're wired. And so, you know, we add in all the negative challenges of social media and being in comparison and happily ever after. Thank you, Disney. It screws us all up. Right. We have some image of what we think happiness has to look like. And, you know, when I got divorced at 36 years old, I was the first of all my friends to get divorced. I was in that relationship that no one ever thought would get divorced. And I had to decide for myself, what does that look like now? as I reinvent who I am at this point in my life and what happiness looks like, what connection looks like, what love looks like and what relationship to myself looks like. And it was something I had to actively cultivate actively. And I was able to achieve those intentions because it was an active process, but I had to really get still to get out of my head and all of those comparisons and shoulds and expectations to really settle in to say, what does that mean for me? a process it's a practice 
I love that. Keyshawn, I don't know if you want to add to it or I can ask another question, but you tell me. I, I wanted to um, add to it a Go little bit it. about you know what Rob and um, Jory just said, which makes so much sense. The thing about it is that love, you know, happiness, those things are a dest- it's not it's not a destination, it's a journey. And people think that they can find love out of people's situations to kind of make themselves feel better. But the goal for happiness, for joy, and for peace is a journey. You have to experience these things. You have to fail to know what love really looks like, right? You have to go through those bad moments in order for you to say, you know what, um, this didn't work for me, but I know this next thing will. I know what I don't and what I don't want. I know what I did and what I didn't want in through relationships. Um, I also believe that we have to know who we are. A lot of people, when you don't know who you are, you try to find happiness and love and joy out of people, things, jobs, businesses, goals, money, uh, finances, out of all, all sorts of things when you don't know who you are. And then we allow our partner, society, and jury said social media to kind of define who we are in our next steps. And once we allow social media and all these other things to kind of dictate who we are, our happiness, we lose ourselves. And then we go back into that depression, that depression, we go through that, that whole entire journey of self kind of um, self trying to get back our self awareness or our self identity to get back. And that's a hard journey because if we just stay and relax and say, you know what, this isn't for me, let me start to love myself and understand what I want and what I don't want. That'll be a better journey for the happiness. I want to, can I add to that? I want to add to that. Going back to those Buddhist foundations, you know, it, it, it said that expectations are the quickest path to suffering. And when we can recognize that expectations and attachments to particular outcomes increase our suffering, then by default, having lowered expectations and non-attachment makes us happier. That's again, a practice on how do I do that? That's something you can cultivate and gain the skills around, but recognizing when you are grasping so tightly to some particular outcome and then it may not happen, you feel pretty depressed about that. That's really hard to manage. But when you can hold it more openly and have a non-attachment, you inherently are going to feel happier. Rob, go for it. I saw you wanted to do something. Oh, oh, no, it's just so great. I just love such an enlightening and entertaining and exciting conversation. I t- totally agree. I mean, with um, both uh, Kishon and uh, Jory, I mean, it's just, I think, you know, what was said earlier is just so powerful is that happiness doesn't have a look, you know, um, happiness doesn't look like anything. It doesn't have a look because happiness is essentially what is looking right. And that sort of a perfect segue to what Kishon said there, which is, you know, happiness at the end of the day is self-awareness. It's a deep self-awareness and it's, and, and it's this self, that we really don't take a whole lot of time to really define. It's like, I have a body, but am I my body? You know, I have thoughts, but am I my thoughts? I have feelings and perceptions and sensations, but am I my feelings, sensations, and perceptions? In all of my experiences, no matter what those experiences have been, what's been the common denominator in all those experiences? And when I felt happiness, what's been the common thread? It's, it's been me, right? And so happiness is essentially, again, is not something that we achieve, accomplish, or acquire, right? But it's the reason we want to achieve, accomplish, acquire anything, right? And so it, again, isn't a goal. It's the very place from which we're seeking happiness is already happiness itself. And so it's as much as it sounds like a cliche and cliches are cliches for a reason, um, you know, happiness is something that's within you. But I'd go further than that and say that happiness is essentially what you are. 
it's what you are. And one way to know that for me, at least is like that moment before you fall asleep at night, when you're so tired, you can barely move your body and you're so tired. You don't want to think a whole lot and you forget about the world. You forget about all the other people in the world. You forget about your fears. You forget about your desires and you even forget about yourself in that very moment. There's so much bliss there and there's no thinking. There's not a whole lot of acting. There's not a whole lot of doing. And that for me is the greatest indication and that sort of micro moment of pure bliss, that happiness isn't something outside of me, it's within me, it's not even within me, it is me. Um, and so that can sound and feel very abstract and esoteric. And that's why to Tishorn's point earlier, actually to everyone's point earlier, you know, the best explanation is experience and experience is the only explanation. And we can easily get caught up in language and semantics around happiness and what it is and what it isn't. But when you have a taste of it, like honey, there's no mistaking it again, right? I love that. And I think, I think one of the, one of the hardest things that I, I've seen, and I would love to hear your perspective, you know, as a relationship specialist, working with couples, individuals, really trying to um, help those who are either in crisis, hopefully they come before they're in crisis and just want to talk um, about their communication or anything that goes into it um, and their relationship. How important, and I know this might sound obvious, but I just want to ask for the listeners, how important is it to truly find yourself before getting into a relationship? Um, does it have to, do you have to know all yourself or is part of the relationship bringing some stuff out that you never knew before? I'll Keep, jump off on that. Sorry, you go for it. Like I jump off on, um, cause it was something that Kishoran said earlier that I wanted to be able to say. So my COVID brain fog is wanting me to speak when I can. Tracking my thoughts. But, you know, again, we look to some of the media that has screwed up our mindsets and the line from Jerry Maguire, you complete me is just as bad as happily ever after. Right. Because if we're expecting another person to complete us, that's an awful lot of expectation and power we're giving another person. And I really believe that I, I found my truest love in my partner that I found on Tinder after my divorce. Once I came to that place of saying, I'm whole and complete as I am, any other person is a bonus to where I'm at in my life. And I actually set very strong intentions and sat down and wrote a letter titled Dear Future Partner. And I, I wrote out all the areas I was whole and complete in my life and then where I still had room. But when I made that mindset shift that I wasn't allowing another person to fully complete me because I was whole and complete as I am. And there was more that I was seeking and there was more that I could offer and there was more that I could grow and experience and that I wanted to give and to share and receive. So to me, it's an and. And I believe, I mean, I work with so many women post-divorce who are really trying to understand who they are at this point in their lives and how to find love. And unless we actually get really still and curious on who am I at this point in time, because the last time I dated was 20 years ago or whatever it was, we've got to learn and get curious and open to understanding who we are right now. So we even know what is it I want to be bringing into my life. And that process of self-exploration can be scary for some, can be exciting. And I think it's wholly necessary to be able to understand no one else can complete us. But yet some of those aspects of learning about ourselves only can appear in relationship, right? So we can only practice some of those expansions when we are in connection with others. So no one can complete you. 
One second, I'm just bringing, uh, um, there she is. You're on mute, Jamie. Hello. We did it. With oh. back-ended messaging on Instagram back and forth while everyone was talking. I promise I was listening, guys. Um, we got Jamie. We got Jamie on here. So, Jamie, before I, I ask another question, can you introduce yourself to the people who came and the people who are going to listen to the recording? Absolutely. And I just want to send light ahead for any frustration that I had with technology because I've never gotten along with technology. I do a show every week. I'm constantly using Zoom. Today, it was not working. So I, I will say, I will Mercury say, Jamie, is in retrograde. I will say, by the way, Jamie, that the webinar thing is a little wacky because if it's not connected to the right uh, email that you, you normally use Zoom, the webinar messes with everything, supposedly. I didn't know I that. Know. I mean, I called my husband up here. I'm like, okay, let's do it the other route, the old school. Instead of just I'm like ID, passcode. Okay. Hi, my name is Jamie Brownstein. You wanted to know about me, what I do? Yeah. Okay. So I'm a relationship therapist, coach, expert. I've been doing this for 20 years. Um, I also have, like I mentioned, a radio, it's, it's a radio show, but it's really a video podcast called Love Talk Live on LA Talk Radio. And I work with singles, couples, and people going through breakups and divorces. Um, pretty much all on Zoom around, all around the world, my clients are, um, but hopefully getting back to in-person soon. And um, my website is therelationshipexpert.com, which is very easy to remember if you, throughout this conversation, would like to set up a session at any point. Awesome. And don't worry, I will put everyone's stuff at the end so that you can reach out to everyone. Uh, I just want to give a quick story, something that um, I want to tie into the question, Jamie, and I'll, and I'll repeat the question again so you can chime in. I know Jory went. We'll get the other people going on. Um, <clears throat> there's a story of a, a speaker, be, uh, and he was speaking over and over again for leaders of a community. And everyone spoke once. And this older man, speaking for years, uh, wise, long beard, came up and said, I need to speak twice. Twice? You can't speak twice. Everyone spoke once. And he finally gets up and he tells a story of a town that had a rule when they were, when they started, when they created this town that you cannot use unfiltered water in the community. It has to be filtered, perfect, beautiful, amazing, delicious water. Well, what happens years down the road, a massive fire breaks out in the community. Well, there's a rule in the community. You can't use unfiltered water. So they have to get the water, filter it, make sure it's clean. And by the time they actually put the fire out, they couldn't, everything was burned the whole town. And the, the leader said, what was wrong with you? Are you idiots? When you have, you use what you can, you don't wait to make it perfect to put out fires, which leads to my question that I asked before. Do you have to be perfect? Do you have to be all, no, your entire self to be healthy and good in your relationships? That's the question that I think I get often asked is, well, I'm not ready because I don't know myself 100% yet, or I haven't worked on myself fully. I can't be in a relationship. So, Jamie, because you're the newest one here, spotlight's on you. Fantastic. So the first thing that's coming to me is that I believe that relationships are made up of two imperfect people that are perfect for each other. So whether you've done deep dives into work, or you're just starting your journey, or you haven't done any work at all, this is about two people that are just right for each other, and they work together to grow. 
But to really answer your question, do you have to be completely, completely ready and whole and showing up as your authentic self, which is the work that I do with my clients? No, because life isn't perfect. And yes, it is important to be showing up as your authentic self. But I believe that in so many ways, the right person helps us to bring out, let's say you've gotten to like 75% of your authentic self. That person that you meet, that you came to this earth to be with, that is your soulmate, as I would say, or in Judaism, we say Bajert, that person can actually help you bring out even more of yourself because it really is about two people's energy that is aligned. And when that happens, it's magic. So I would say do as much work as you possibly can as you would like to, as you have the bandwidth to, you know, do your work, whether it's self-help books, going to a therapist, or just doing whatever works for you to make you feel like you're in a good enough place to meet your person. And then once you meet that person, you're going to grow even more. And then you're going to even grow together, which is the best part. Sorry, Keyshawn, I was muted. Go for it, Keyshawn. Yeah, I wanted to um, compliment that. What's going on, Jamie? How you doing? Hi. And, uh, me and Jamie actually worked together before, like years ago. How long? We did. But um, yeah, I would like to you know piggyback on what you said and also Jerry said earlier. Um, it's similar to what we were speaking about with happiness, right? It's a journey. Your your life as an individual, you learn about yourself every day. I'm not the same person I was a week ago or two weeks ago or even six months ago. I consistently evolve and we consistently grow. You know, with bad habits and with good habits, we, we will still grow. Um, you could never, ever, ever get to that point where you say, you know what, I'm completely over my ex or I'm completely healed. I'm, I'm 100% and now I'm ready. My 100% perfect self is ready to date someone else. You will always go into that relationship with something that the other person will compliment or try to help you as, as we say, you know, they will try to help you to try to grow with you. Because um, if you're going in perfect and there's nothing, why are you, why are you in a relationship? You might as well date yourself. Date yourself and fall in love with yourself. And, you know, you are your best person if that's the case. Right. But life is about I remember I used to think like that as well. When I went when I went through my breakup and I went through my heartbreak, I used to say to myself, I need to get back to 100 percent me in order for me to start dating again. And then I realized that what is 100 percent me? (laughs) Am I God? Right. (laughs) But then I said to myself, no, I just need to be I just need to be myself, get to know myself, self-awareness you know, love who I am, know where I want to go, know who I want. And eventually life will work its way out in order for me to get where I need to be. And um, I think when you're like authentic, you know, like things authentically yourself and you're um, and you know what you want and you know where you're going and you're healing in that journey, in that in, in your substance and in your your purpose, man, you will meet people who's going to gravitate towards that energy. And before you know it, you're going to be loving people and people will be loving you and you're going to be healing in their love and in also yours. You know, it's amazing. I love that a lot. Something that I think people are afraid of um, over the years. um, I'm a pretty loving person, I guess. (laughs) And, you know, embracing and people don't know how to deal with that. Like being like what it means to feel loved, what it means to feel compassion, what it means to feel that someone actually cares about you. Um, And it's something a beautiful thing that you can give to another person to give them that love, to give them that, that appreciation. Rob, I wanted to just uh, turn to you before I ask the next question uh, that I think uh, might ruffle some feathers in a good way. 
<laughs> I love it, Ellie. Um, yeah. So of course I'm like what he said and she said, and she said, you know, just really fantastic. I couldn't agree more, you know, um, the happiest relationships consist of two independently happy people. Right. I think that's really important to remember. It seems so simple, but it's really profound. Um, if you think about the ways in which we don't live that out in our experience all the time. And I don't think, um, you know, the brain or relationships are desired are, are sort of designed necessarily to make us happy as much as to make us aware. Right. So happy. So, you know, relationships are really meant to make you become increasingly conscious and aware of who you are and who the other is and what life is all about. And so it's a mirror of, of, of sorts. And but the more aware and more conscious you become, the happier you become too, right? And so the challenge, and I want to always say yes, Ellie, and no, Ellie, at the same time to your questions, because they're just so powerful. It's like, you know, from one perspective, absolutely, the healthier and happier you are in your aloneness, the happier and healthier you will be in your togetherness. No question about it, right? But I also want to say, if you wait, if you wait to get into relationships until you are perfect, and the only perfect things are dead things for the most part, you will wait an entire life. Right. You await your entire life. And that's not probably the best use of your time and energy. And so the challenge and opportunity is not to find a perfect person or a perfect relationship or to be a perfect person, but instead to look for and find the perfection within yourself and the world and others as consistently as humanly possible. Right. It's about that. And so when you find harmony and happiness and love within yourself, you find happiness and harmony and love with everybody and everything else, even when they don't find it with you right? Even when they don't find it with you. So for me, relationships, you know, um, love isn't really, you know, just like an exclusive relationship we have with just one individual. Love is a way we have a relating to the entire world that is predicated upon the way in which we've learned to relate to ourselves, right? It's a way of relating with all people at all times and all places, regardless of whether or not we believe or think they deserve it. And when you practice that consistently enough, then the relationship that you have with your partner or whomever else is so much more easy and enjoyable and healthy and happy. And you also find that it's a very attractive energy, right? So again, I think the challenge and opportunity for most of us is to, of course, find the love that we seek in togetherness, find that in aloneness, find that happiness that you seek in your relationship with others within the relationship with yourself. Can I add something to that, Rob? Because what you said was so powerful there. And there's something that comes up with a lot of my clients. And I've even experienced in my current relationship in which what if my partner is experiencing depression and not happy at the moment? And I'm happy. And how do I balance that energy where I feel all this happiness? And what if my partner is not? And how do I either allow that space? Do I feel the need to rescue that and to want them to just be happy or to not decrease my, like it's a balance and it is definitely a delicate dance. And I think the key to that, because a lot of couples are not going to always be on that same level at the same time where they're bringing that same joy and energy. And so what do you do when you're not always aligned there? And when I first started dating John, there was one day he was over and he was just in a down mood. And he was leaving my house and he said, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, it's not you. I'm just, I'm just feeling off. And my response to him, I think is what made him fall in love with me because I said to him, I accept all of you. And his mouth just dropped open and he was like, no one's ever accepted all of me and allowed my emotional range to be okay without judgment or you know, pushing away or blame. And it has been such the foundation of our relationship that 
I may not always like where you're at because it's hard at times to navigate. And I accept you because that is love, right? And from my acceptance is what allows him to feel whatever emotion to then get back to that happiness and connection. Okay, can I say something? Because that was really cute. Ellie, you were like, you love my reaction because yes, the best feeling in this world, and I don't care if it's a relationship or not, is to feel seen and heard and ideally understood. But even if you're seen and heard, because it's just validating everything that you are inside. And it, 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 when someone can reflect back to you, it's like, there's so much love in that feeling seen and heard. And it's just, you get enveloped in warmth. And it sounds like that's what John was feeling. Um, and one more thing I just wanted to say about what Rob was saying, and then we're going to move on to the next question, Ellie. Okay. Is no rush. Don't rush. Different from, um, from what Jory was saying, but um, just the point that getting back to so many people make, make excuses of why they're not ready you know, because we were talking about, do you have to wait till you're totally ready or till you're totally perfect, which you'll never be because it's a lifelong journey of healing and, and learning about yourself. So, so many people, especially the clients that come to me, they've just been making excuses and excuses. And you guys, it sounds cliche, you know, like I need to lose the weight, but there's, there's deeper things like there's um, my dad wasn't nice to me when I was younger. So that's why I can't have a relationship. So people have these negative narratives that are going on in their mind or all the good guys are taken, or it's just never going to happen for me. And so it's those type of excuses also that keep you safe. You know, you can't get hurt, you know, if you don't put yourself out there and it keeps you from feeling like a whole person and, and like a person who's capable and able to have a relationship. So I wanted to talk about that also in terms of that people just give these excuses as to why they're not ready or they're not whole. And in life, it's just, life is messy and, and it's so much better just to, to get in the, like the messiness and the grit of life and to not feel like you need to be perfect ever. Yeah. I love that. I'm going to use uh, something I've been really getting into as a therapist is ACT or ACT, ACT uh, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy, is something that is like the newer building off CBT, DBT, and all the older, um, even though they're not older, they're from the 60s, so or the the, the 50s with, with Aaron Beck. But there was this, um, I was recently talking to a colleague of mine, Dr. Diana Hill, who put it that when we become so cognitively fused, it takes like a perspective and just basically covers our eyes from even seeing it becomes so fused to our brainstem, our neural pathways that we're not even able to see other perspectives. And part of life is diffusing, is pulling away that perspective that is stopping us. For example, all the good guys are taken. There's no one out there for me. It's a fused thought process that stops you from actually even having an opportunity before you even do anything. So some of the work that we all do he is helping someone just just pull apart that label or that negative connotation that is so much associated with them equated to relationships. Oh, I've never had a good relationship. I can't have one in the future, right? All those things. Um, a real question that I get a lot that was asked to me to ask on this uh, summit because I found out this is a lot of good data. Statistically, when people sign up, only about 20% show up. So that's really fun. You know, it really makes you excited about numbers and then only like, you know, but whoever's here, I really love, and I'm so happy you showed up. 
But I want to ask the questions for people who aren't here as well, who ask questions on social media. And one of the questions that was asked was, this past two years going on third year of COVID, unfortunately, with all the craziness of isolation, ridiculousness of the life we're in, feeling alone, sad. But what also has happened is that a lot of people have reassessed their lives, have come to change um, for good for themselves, but that impacts their relationships. So the question I got was, I'm just going to read it here. How do you deal when your partner changes for their betterment that then impacts the relationship? How do you then navigate that when you love and want to be with them? Keyshawn, you want to go for it? Yeah, I was looking for the mute button. <laughs> yeah, I would definitely say that um, I always start everything with a conversation. You know, like I'm just saying in my situation, if me and my wife, if my wife is doing better and for her betterment, that's her life. Because at the end of the day, she's still an individual. Right. We're in a relationship, but she's still her own person and she's still an individual. Um, and I will have a conversation about what's going on, you know, and the growth is for her better. It's not nothing bad. Right. So I want to meet her where she's at and compliment her or support her in her journey. And if anything, it should inspire me to do some self um, searching and see if there's anything in my life that I want to do better as well. If I want to grow as, if I want to become, um, you know, do better in our relationship and what else can I offer the relationship? Because a lot of people, they get jealous rather than inspired in relationship. And then they'll tell their partners, like, like, who are you? Who do you think you are to do this and better your life? And then internally, it'll make that person feel bad. But that's just feelings that you always had, you know, within yourself to begin with. So now these feelings are resurfacing as jealousy or envy when you should really be supporting your partner and meeting them where they're at and see, okay, babe, I understand that you're doing this. Where can I fit into this? Because I want to help you. I want to motivate you. I want to inspire you rather than being jealous and holding on the grudges and kind of comparing and contrasting why you're so high and why I'm so low. And, and just to add a layer before anyone else answers also, not just for the betterment, I'm also talking about belief changes, whether it's politically, mm -hmm. religiously, yeah. things that might push buttons of the other person as well. I think a lot of times this past couple of years, a lot of political things have been coming in between a lot of couples, especially around, and I'm not here to get political, I'm not here to get into that stuff, but like vaccinations, mandates, all these yeah. things, who did you vote for, political thought process, who you support, all that stuff, when that stuff gets in the way, when yeah. those changes but, happen, yeah. how do you have a conversation around something that can be so maybe... Explosive, yeah, and it's touchy. But it was, what's so beautiful about those conversations is that as couples, or in, if you're in a relationship, married or not, you should be able to express yourself and your views and have those conversations without you know hating each other or understanding, like accepting each other's beliefs. And if it gets to the point where it affects the relationship, then you get to that that other conversation where you reevaluate re the conversation. I mean, the relationship, and that may, that relationship may not be for you. Right. And I've met a lot of couples and people who have different beliefs throughout the years because they fell in love and I love this person. But when you get deep into relationships, love is the least of it. Right. Now you get into the political, you get into the beliefs, you get into cultural beliefs, you get into faith, you get into church and all of these things. Oh, where you, where um where your son or daughter might want to go to church or what they're going to believe in. And those things could bring in a lot of um a lot of tension, a lot of issues later on in the relationship if you don't have a conversation with it now. Jory, I saw you really nodding your head a lot. I don't know if you want to go uh, for it before the fog hits in. Yeah, thank you. Um, you know, the first part of your question really uh, hit home for me because it was the reverse of that that kind of led to my divorce. Um, I was growing and my husband wasn't. And it was interesting because 
you know, we were together, we met when I was 13. And so it's natural progression that one would grow. And I was growing in a way that he was on the surface, very supportive of. And I think it was very threatening. And when we went to our first couples therapist, he actually said, you know, she's starting to do this. And if you don't do a little bit of this with her, she's going to be gone. And his response was, this was me, love me for me. And the therapist was like, okay, but you got to grow a little bit with her because, you know, she's going to keep growing. And it was this lack of desire to want to grow while at the same time veining support for my growth. And it caused massive disconnect. And, you know, so when I get the question with my clients of, should I stay with a partner? How do I know this is a good partner to be with? Growth mindset to me is one of the most fundamental things that you and a partner should want to have in common. Because if you both don't have a growth mindset, there might come to that turning point where I need to do something for myself that might feel like a threat to the relationship because I'm now changing. Well, we're always constantly changing and growing. And having a partner who values that, I think, is absolutely foundational because to Kirshan's point, love isn't enough. Like, love is great, and we all need that. And we also need to be able to support each other's individual journeys. And the second part of your question, Ellie, is something, you know, again, as a therapist, I see, I have clients who just come in because of what has gone on since 2016, and they're now, like, realizing this divide in their personal world of people who I thought shared the same values as me, I now realize share different values. And I think it comes down to value set because underlying all of our differences and our belief systems and actions is a set of core values. And when you can recognize, I can be in relationship with someone who may have a different value set than mine, but there might be certain values that are no, you know, are deal breakers if we don't align with. And so I think we can easily get caught up on actions and behaviors and, and, and words. And, but when we can come back to say, what is the value that this person is operating from? And if I can respect your values, I don't have to align with your values, but how can we have a respectful conversation of respecting the values? So, I mean, we could have a whole conversation for hours just on this alone, but yeah. Okay, Rob, want to go for it? Oh my goodness. So much there. I can't possibly unpack everything that everyone's saying I know. <laughs> 14 years. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Um, I just want to sort of tag on to what essentially everybody's saying. Um, you know, I'd say the, the first thing is I think unconditional regard, right? As therapists or helping professionals, I think unconditional regard is probably, well, without question is the most, one of the most transformative healing elements and not just a therapeutic relationship, but also in a familial one or platonic one or romantic one. Right. So that's the first piece. And I think part of that is when you can sort of accept or meet someone where they are, then you begin to sort of discern the difference between sort of like a conscious and unconscious relationship or human love and divine love. It's like, you know, suddenly the other person is growing and because you're open to it and receptive to it, it inspires growth within you. And then the growth that you experience then inspires growth within them. And you just spiral up and you sort of spiral up in this really beautiful, powerful way. And that's why I call it rising in love instead of falling in love. It's like you're rising above some of these challenges and limiting beliefs or thoughts that you have around relationships and love and life, right? So it's rising in love instead of falling in love. And to that point, I think at the end of the day, you know, one thing that I've discovered, mostly the hard way, because I learned everything through failure, I think, but it's like, you know, true love to me or love to me 
whether that's between two romantic partners or many romantic partners or between friends or family members, it's not, it's not two heads or two minds in agreement. It's two hearts in alignment, right? And it's a very dramatic and significant difference. It's like we can agree to disagree and we can agree to not be disagreeable in our disagreeing, in our disagreements, right? And so for me, that's the difference between, let's say, communion and communication. When you commune with someone, you know, you're just enjoying their presence for what it is and you're allowing them to grow and they're allowing you to grow and they're allowing you to make different decisions and them to make it, you're allowing them to make different decisions. Um, but in communication, sometimes I think we get in a very sort of mind oriented space. Where we're always coming from the head and center from the heart. And um, I think ultimately at the end of the day, true love and real happiness is something that's heart centered. It's not mind obsessed and thought obsessed. Jamie, take it away. Oh, thank you. Okay. So um, getting back to what Jory was saying with, with your specific example, I just wanted to talk about um, when, so when there's one person that's growing and yeah, you might, you could feel support from your significant other, your husband, your wife, whoever you're married or boyfriend, girlfriend, you could feel support from them. But yet at the same time, in my eyes and from what I've seen, it's never going to work long time forever. If there's one person that let's say wants to live an extraordinary life, wants to um, live their best life, wants to live up to do everything that they can that the use their gifts, let's say in this world. And then there's someone who wants to be a couch potato and is just very happy staying where they are. That to me will never work. I've never seen it work because there's something inside that like Rob, you were saying it, it's like a, it's a heart alignment. This is, this is, it's not a brain or, or, or a mind or anything else or an ego. This is a heart alignment and it's kind of hard to explain in words why it doesn't work, but the only way to explain it is it doesn't feel comfortable. And in relationships, there's compromise, which is great. But when you feel like you're sacrificing, that's a red flag. And to me, when there's someone who's growing and learning and wanting to expand and live to their, it becomes unattractive when the other person doesn't want to grow and learn. And so that's a sacrifice. Like if you're growing and learning and you're expanding and the other person isn't, it's like you're sacrificing it energetically, you're also not going to be able to fully expand and grow the way that you need to. So that is, it is a big problem and it is a big red flag. And I always encourage my clients who are not married yet to have this conversation, you know, like what, not, what are your goals? Like I study spiritual psychology. There's the goal line and there's the soul line, as we say, you know, not even us. Yes. Great. Talk about your goal lines, you know, like your, what you want to do with your job and things like that. But the soul line, you know, like, how do you feel about expansion and, and just growing from your heart and your soul as a person? I love that. You know, uh, when I, when I was marrying my wife, well, before we, we got married, we met with a rabbi. Uh, just to talk about the wedding ceremony and all the ins and outs and that kind of stuff and some of the practical stuff. Um, and uh, he's a very close friend of mine and someone who I really regard as a really wonderful human being and dresses maybe nicer than you, Rob. I don't know, <laughs> but maybe. 
Impossible, man. Impossible. Impossible. I gotta connect you guys. I'm like, he literally has like a hotline to Charles Turwitt and every other thing that he. It's just really funny. Um, and uh, something he actually pushed when we were when we were meeting with him was this idea that I talk about with a lot of my clients is this thing called the import and export list. So he literally makes you sit down and says, "Okay, you two are very different people. That's not a problem. Sit down." What do you want to import from your values, from your belief system, from your family's upbringing, the traditions from your family? Because just because you're two people who might grow up, I'm a white Jewish guy and she's a white Jewish woman, doesn't mean we're the same people. Doesn't mean our traditional family upbringing is the same. And no matter what the upbringing and where you come from in your life, no matter how you look, where you were raised, where you were born, doesn't mean that you know what the other person needs. So sit down and say, okay, your family did this, that, and the other thing during the holidays. Or we don't like when we slam doors in our household. Or we really love when we have dinner every night. So you import. What do we want to be our unit, our family, our values? What do we want our individual individual values to be? Just for ourselves, not for the unit. And what do we want to export? What are things that we really don't like from our families, from our own selves that we're trying to work on? And that it starts just to start the conversation. Because changes will happen. I mean, who would have expected that COVID would have happened? Most human beings would have not. Maybe there might be one or two who maybe guessed it. I don't know. But in the end, we didn't know that this was going to cause us to rethink our lives, to question, to wonder, to push back on the norm or society or whatever might be, to question things that we didn't even realize were a problem in society that now we're now becoming aware of. Um, that can bring a lot of conversations that we didn't know. But if you have some semblance of a, I like the Grey's Anatomy sticky note, right? Our sticky note. I don't know if you guys are Grey's Anatomy fans. Um, I'm sorry if you are, everyone dies. Um, and so in the end, it's that like, what is our post-it note that we look back to, to remind us of where we're at? Does it mean we can move forward? Yeah, let's talk about it. But we know where we started. And that's something that's truly important. A question, I just got a question from someone actually that asked, relationships have to start somewhere. I'm currently on a break, but I've dated a lot of different girls over the past several years. And the thing I notice is that the first dates are easing, the first dates and easing into showing one's authentic self are the hardest. It's a new person. You don't know them yet and want to know them better to see if it can go somewhere. What tips could you suggest for easing those first interactions to get the authentic part, the balance, right? Of how much do you show? How much do you not? So who wants to take this one first? I'll start off. Yeah, Keyshore. I would just start off by saying, you know, don't put too much pressure. A lot of people, they put so much pressure into the day and it's like, oh, I got to fall in love today. If I don't fall in love today, then this is not going to work for me. You know, you have to understand that dating is gathering information. Dating is not falling in love. It's just gathering information to see if you're compatible for my life, if we can vibe, you know. And I love what Jamie said earlier. Oh, man, she said this word that I always use. She said, be still, right? Um, like, you have to stay still. And I realized that a lot of people, we have to be still. Stop being all over the place. Relax. Go there to enjoy yourself. You know, you, you can talk about, don't talk too deep into your life to scare the person away. But just be cordial with your conversation. Let them know, hey, you know, my life is good. Talk about job, talk about work. You know, if you have a family, you know, don't go too deep into it until you feel like um, you trust them a little bit. Yeah, you got to give, give them a little, you got to breadcrumb it a little bit, right? Not too deep. Who's next? Go ahead. I, you know, when I, 
after my divorce, I went on a lot of first dates. And I went into it with the mindset of curiosity, not so much about the other person, but curiosity of what am I here to learn about myself? Because that is what helped me define who I was at this point in my life, post-divorce, married, you know, now with single mom and two kids. And who am I right now? And I just got really curious about myself in the process of, wow, this is really interesting. What am I noticing around when I'm with different people? What kind of questions and energy and what kind of flow? And going into it with not just a curiosity about them, because I think we put it so much on the other person, what we're trying to gather information on. So to kind of add on to what Kirshwan was saying, but it's not just gathering information about others, but about ourselves and experience to others. And going through all those first dates helped me get really clear on what my own authenticity was and how I wanted to show up. And the more clear I was on that, the more clear I got on what I was looking for, right? Because you can't find what you don't know what you're looking for. So in in absence of gaining that clarity, it was really hard. It's like finding a needle in a haystack. And the other piece of it too, is the non-attachment care. Sharon also added to that, you know, I think I hear from so many clients. In fact, I talked to a woman just the other day who was like, oh, I was so excited about this person before I even met them, right? So we go back to those expectations of the quickest paths to suffering and non-attachment, like go into it saying, I'm just meeting an interesting human and whatever evolves, if I've learned something about myself, great. If I learned something new, a piece of information that they taught me, great. But that decreased expectation and non-attachment is always one of the best ways to go into it. And I had one other thought. Oh, the other thought was um, don't force it. You know, I think anytime we are forcing anything, we are out of flow. And when we want something really bad, right? It's that attachment piece. We want to make it happen because I mean, even my ex-husband, he checked all the boxes. Well, most of them at the time, but there was an energy that you is intangible, right? So it's not about box checking because someone can check all the boxes and you just don't feel it. So to add on to what you guys are saying of, you know, checking in with your body. I mean, this to me, it always comes back to the mindfulness. It's about awareness and being present and curious, right? Let me notice how I actually feel around this person. And if conceptually they're a great guy and I'll say to my clients, like he can be the best guy in the world, but is he right? for you. Because then they get into this judgment of, oh man, how many times, and I have this one client, you know, a a man who was like wanting to give women more and more and more chances because she's such a great human. Great. You know what? The world is full of great humans, but they're not all supposed to be your partners. So we don't have to keep forcing it. Well, let me, how many times do we give dates more and more chances when we're just not feeling it? So again, awareness, I think everything comes back down to awareness. I love how everyone's smiling, by the way, by that example, that we've all worked with somebody who has said that. Um, Okay, between Jamie and Rob, do you want to add something? Should I ask another question? What do you want to do? Jamie, you want to add? He was like, I'm waiting for this. Jamie, go for it. Yes, but but Rob, it's yours, like, technically, if we're doing it. No, no, please get in there. I know that it's great top of mind for you, so get in there. Okay, well, first of all, Jory, I think we're the same person. Like, literally, I think we're the same person. It's very bizarre. Because everything afterwards, that's it. Everything you're saying is, I can't hear you, but everything you're saying is, is everything that, that I say like specifically. Um, but I will add that, that on a date, so getting back to your original question. So on a date, how do you show up 
as authentically as possible. And I would say to be present. You know, if you are to be present here, if you are constantly in your mind, does he like me? Does my hair look okay? Is he staring at my pimple? Then you're not present and you're not authentic. There's no room for you actually showing up, showing this date who you are. And then that is the problem that that's the problem for most dates that don't go well because nobody's actually there, especially if both people aren't being present and both people are constantly worried about what the other person is thinking about them. And so something that Jory did say that I agree with is ask yourself, how am I feeling? How am I feeling instead of, does he like me? Um, and then, oh, also um, just one more thing about, you know, vulnerability. So, and Ellie, with your question, you know, you even kind of talked about like, you know, you don't want to share too much too fast. And so it's about using your intuition because there does need to be a certain amount of vulnerability on that first date. If you have your walls up and your heart is not open energetically, that person on the other side of the table is going to know that and it's unattractive and they can't possibly get to know you. So be vulnerable, you know, kind of get into that intuitively, get into that fine line of vulnerability, share, don't share the traumatic thing that happened to you in second grade. Okay. But share who you are in the most authentic way possible. That is appropriate for a first date. Go for it, Rob. Of that, Jamie. Yeah. I'm agreed to all that. And I'd say, um, you know, as a key with most things in life, it's like practice when it's easy, like, you know, don't wait until you're in the middle of a hurricane to try to learn how to swim. So it's like, you know, I believe in practicing what I want to learn or get good at with everybody everywhere all the time, right? Like kids are great for that, you know? So if you're learning or wanting to be more authentic or you're wanting to be a little more fun, a little more interesting, whatever it is, you can practice with kids, the cashier, the teller, you know, practice with the elderly woman on the corner. It's like, you want to practice with everyone all the time just for the joy of doing it just for fun, which sort of leads me to the second point, which is just have a lot more fun with it. You know, if you, the more fun you have, the better it will go, the more fun the other person will have, and the more interesting the entire experience will be. Um, that's the second piece. Um, I'd say like the third piece, and this comes back to the sort of practicing when it's easy. Part of practicing when it's easy is also just about learning some self-soothing skills, you know, and a little bit of emotional regulation skills. It got to be extraordinarily, you know, anxiety provoking and stressful to be with a stranger or someone new who you, especially if you're attracted to them and you're not sure if they're attracted to you. And so you want to just begin to practice some of these self-soothing and emotional regulation skills, like in advance and outside of a dating experience. That's what meditation is for. That's what mindfulness is for. Sometimes it's what prayer is for. That's what therapy is for, right? So there are lots of ways to do it. Um, so I'd say those are the things that matter most. The bottom line and the main point that I want to make overall is have more fun. And also just remember that ultimately love is a way of relating to everybody in the entire world, not just a relationship you have with one person at one snapshot or one particular point in time. If you can kind of embrace that more and more, you'll discover that the relationship part will take care of itself. You know, it's the way of relating that we really need to cultivate and sort of um, practice or at least maybe lean into more consistently. Yeah, I love that. You know, not to tie into something, um, but recently, you know, Bob Saget recently passed away um, and I posted about it on social media, how he was like America's father. Right. We're growing up in the, in the 80s and 90s. You have full house and something that's coming out more and more, not just about his personality, but how how much he said, I love you to people, 
how much he valued relationships and had email chains with Jimmy Kimmel and other celebrities, not just about when are we collaborating next, but how are your kids doing? And this real deep connection. And for me as a man to see another man share love and say, I love you and be vulnerable to other men is something that I know I've spoken with to Keyshorn and to Rob about is such a beautiful thing that I think if we practice it more and more, I think people who are women or more feminine energies are just more in tune to saying, I love you and being actually and meaning that not just in a willy nilly way, but actually meaning the word, I love you. You mean something to me. And I think the more we practice that, the more we actually mean it to the people in our lives and share it that way. I mean, this past couple of years, I mean, how, how many times did we get a chance to see the people we loved? Not so often as much as we hoped. And it meant people like I know for me, I moved in with my parents which I never thought I would ever do again in my life with my wife and daughter. I cannot believe I'm living with my parents for this long and I haven't killed them yet. So it's been a success. It's been a success. But it was that idea that this is important. We, we didn't have that. Now we do. And uh, just we have two more questions. We're almost wrapping up. I don't want to, you guys are very important, have a lot of things to do with your life. And it's a Sunday. And if you like football, football's happening. You know, who knows? Uh, and if you have yeah, Keyshawn's like, yes, it is. Yes, it is. 430, 430 Eastern standard. Don't time. worry. We're going to get it. We're going to get it. Whoever wants to, whoever you want to win, I hope wins. Um, but in the end, someone asked a really actually interesting question. We had two questions left. Someone asked, and we're going to start with Rob because he was the last one to go a couple of times. So I just want to make sure he gets some love over there. Um, how do you tell if it's a rough patch in a relationship or it's actually the beginning of the end? Oh, man. I don't know if I'm right to answer that right away. I'm going to have to sit on that. If anyone else wants to jump in, feel free to jump in. Okay, yeah. Jory, go for it. I go back to curiosity. What am I here to learn through this right now? And, you know, part of that goes with the growth mindset. Part of that goes with where are we open to learning new skills of relating and communicating and self-insight going back to values. What really is the rough patch about? I think is a really key to understand. Is it a culmination of issues that haven't been resolved and we realize, wow, shit, we've never actually communicated about the hard stuff before. It's better time to start now than, you know, letting it pile up. Um, you know, if, if the rough patch is bringing you insight into someone in which you don't see as a problem solver, a communicator, or at least an openness and willingness to learn and grow new skills. I think that's really important information to have. That's right. So go ahead. I'm just going to add one thing real quick because it was just so good. Um, the other thing I was just going to add, it sparked right away, but I couldn't quite get my mind around it is, um, you know, I think about the four horsemen of the apocalypse, right? So John Gottman's work, so powerful, right? So the answer I did right there, right away is like contempt. We know that contempt with like 95% probability, we can predict the end of a relationship. So if there's contempt, you know, the other four horsemen of the apocalypse, which essentially indicate the end of a relationship, um, criticism, defensiveness, and I think stonewalling, right? But contempt is the big one, right? So that's when you're not just attacking someone's behavior, you're attacking the person's character, when that is a consistent experience in, in, in your relationship, you can probably assume that it's not going in the direction that you want. The other thing I'll add real quickly is um, I think Barbara Fredrickson talks very eloquently about the positivity ratio, right? So in ideal relationships and the happiest relationships or in relationships that are thriving, you have to be way above a three to one in terms of positive to negative experiences or interactions, right? You need to be up above five, six, seven, probably the best ones are closer to like 12, 13, 14, um, but positivity ratio. So I would use those two measuring sticks um, probably most consistently 
if you want like an empirically driven uh, sort of answer to that question. I'll go, Keyshawn, go ahead. Ladies first, go ahead, Jamie. Oh my God, you're such a sweetheart. <laughs> okay, um, I'm just gonna run through them because we, this is speed round. Okay, so just like with content, um, there is, when you have judgment and resentment in a relationship that is a relationship killer, the Gottmans have studied this for years. It is like, so, and judgment is if you want the person to change, if you want them to be any different, that's a no. This is like a, a no for sure. And can when you just have this like resentment, kind of like a hatred, um, it's usually not going to change. And, and intuition, that's my third thing I want to say. Just trust your intuition. And like Jory, you were saying before, like if you basically if you have to talk yourself into anything, then it's just it's just a no. And if something doesn't feel right in your heart, I always say, could sound cheesy, I don't care interpret it the way you want. If you don't feel peace in your heart at the end of the day, it's a no. And Rob, like you were saying, ultimately, if you have more sad or upsetting or just really not fun days more than, you know, the, if you have that, that's what you want versus having like not a lot of happy days. Keyshawn. Yeah, I, I agree with that 100 percent. You know, you can't you, you can't change people who don't see a problem with their actions. And a lot of times we stay in relationships longer than we should trying to change people to meet our needs of the relationship when in, in their reality, they're not doing nothing wrong. In their mind, they're like, OK, you're crazy because I'm just being myself and this is who I am. But they don't see the problem. Um Rough patches is rough patches. Right. Rough patch. I, I don't believe that you should. I mean, my wife, we say this all the time. You shouldn't revisit the same rough, rough patch consistently. When you revisit the same rough patch consistently, that's bad and that's unhealthy. And a relationship becomes unbalanced. Um, you know when a relationship is ending when you've given it all you got. We've all been there. When we we try to help you, we 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 suggest therapy, we suggest coaching. We will talk to a friend if we have to. We just know that we need a mutual party or someone to listen to us. Not to say that we're right, but to fix what we have because I I love you. I I, I want this to work. But if we're exhausted and it's taken from our joy, it's stealing from our happiness, it's stealing from our life, and we're depleted to the point where we're like draining our whole self-identity, our the love that we have for ourselves, and we're just existing now and we're not living, that's when it's time to go. Because a lot of people, they don't want to be helped. They will always go back and forth. You're the problem or I'm the problem. I don't care who's the problem. I just want to make this work so I don't waste the next five, 10 15, 20, 30 years of my life trying to fix someone I should not be with. When my soulmate or the right person for me is out there waiting for me to leave yourself, right? So I can live my best life. So I, I believe you know when it's over, when you're emotionally, physically, and mentally, and even spiritually exhausted. Hallelujah. Okay, go on. <laughs> we have one last question. Let's see if we have time to get it, and then we will wrap up. Um, someone posted, I'm curious how today in the world where it's so easy to learn about basically anything, so many people still struggle with, well, everything. Why is it so hard to put everything we know, whether it's self-help book, mindset, mindfulness, love, relationships into actual practice, into our love and relationship life? That's a hard one. Uh, I could, yeah. My brain fog is money. I'm sure I want to remember the question <laughs> as, as it was recently said. I think part of the reason we have such a hard time 
bringing in all these things that we want is because we are trying to do too much at once. And we're trying to do all those things at the same time. And our brains get flooded and we just revert back to old habits because we're not habits. We're not setting ourselves up for success. And so I always talk about it's the 1% shift, not the 90% shift. And if we always look to think of, I want to make change, I want to learn these things, and I'm thinking it's going to be some big shift in my life, we're going to stop ourselves before we start. It's not how our brains are designed. So I would say, start with the one thing that is most attainable for you to gain success in building a habit around and just focus on that and let that grow. And the visual I like to give for that is someone once told me the the visual of if you're like docking a boat. And if you were to drop the anchor at just, you know, a slight 1% shift off of where it should have been docked and you release the anchor and the boat drifts off the assuming clear waters, even just 1% over time is going to grow a lot. So don't underestimate the small changes and be patient and be kind and compassionate to yourself of how hard it is to cultivate all these things. But I would say just if you want to learn and bring in all these different tools, start with just one. And meet yourself where you're at. Like even when I learned how to meditate, for example, my teachers and I sat, you know, I was on retreat with John Kabat-Zinn. Like I sat with all the, the best teachers. And even then they were like, you know, meditate for 20 to 40 minutes a day for it to be valid. And I'm like, I don't have that time. So you know what? I've got two minutes. I'll start there. So you got to meet yourself where you're at for you to build success around new habits. I will say, you know, that's, that's a really good one. You know, um, also I would definitely say do what's best for you. Not what you think is that, not what's best for everybody else. Because when you have so much information in, right, we, we do what we think that, okay, but this will work for them. So it, it might work for me. This self-help book work for you. Sometimes I don't like reading. I don't know about everybody else, but I will read like three pages and I'll put it down. And then I'll say, is this on YouTube? I'd rather listen to it in my AirPods while I walk around and clean the house or while I play or, or do something. That's how I learn. I'm completely different. Um, so figure out exactly what worked for you. And like Jerry said, do one thing at a time. Stop trying to, to do this. You know, Tyler Perry once said, I don't know if you guys seen it, about the plants and watering three plants. And if you if you water all three plants, you, you know, you run out of water, right? And they, they don't grow up to the full capacity. Focus on one thing. And I also read that book, The One Thing. When you focus on one thing and you do that one thing to the best of your ability, and then you get to that that part of your life where it's like, okay, this is good. This could actually, you know, be successful by itself, like business. Then I will jump into something else. But we want to read two pages from this book, watch a YouTube video, go on Rob's Instagram page. Then you want to call up Jamie for the session. And then you want to go to, to, to Jury's event, virtual event. And then you want to go, you know, then you, and there's all that information. How do you kind of digest that? without losing your mind and then trying to find something else because you feel like, you know, none of that worked. So like just boil down to exactly what Jory said, focus on one thing. Yeah. We'll go with Jamie. Yeah. We'll wrap up with Rob. Rob will wrap us up. Okay. So um, just a few things, be gentle with yourself. Everybody goes at different paces. Kind of what people, everybody else was saying, pick what you feel the most drawn to what you feel the most drawn to. And they say that a habit or anything takes, there's like, I use something called a 33 day process. So pick something. And then, you know, that after 33 days, it's going to be integrated because there's a difference between you could read every single help self-help book in this world, 
But unless you're actually experientially doing things with it, like turning philosophy into practice, it's actually not going to be integrated. So especially don't be doing a million things at one time, pick one or two things, let them integrate, embody them, actually become them. So the, so that these practices and these tools and these learnings become second nature. Um, and then just the last thing is that just like in life, you know, you have to have that self-care and you don't want to be running on empty so that you can be there for the people that you love in your life. You could actually get overwhelmed with all this self-help growing stuff that you feel like your tank is, is empty. So you don't, that's the last thing you want. You don't want this self-help evolving, awakening, growing stuff to make your tank empty. So it's all about balance and doing what feels right to you at that moment. Amen. Oh, Jamie. Oh. Uh, so yeah, I'm not sure they'll add a whole lot new, but maybe just a few more words uh, to what's already been said. Um, part of the, I guess, blame belongs to the brain. The brain is again, wired for survival and it's wired for efficiency, right? So it's not your fault. In other words, not your fault that you have trouble or that we all have trouble um, changing habits. And to that end, you know, I think it was Bruce Lee who said so beautifully, like, um, I fear not the person who has practiced 10,000 kicks once, but the person who has practiced one kick 10,000 times, right? That person's lethal with it. They're, they, you know, so, so the idea there is that knowing is doing, knowing and not doing is not really knowing, right? So I guess at the end of the day, um, as the expression goes, like um, an ounce of doing is worth a pound of thinking about doing or an ounce of doing is worth a pound of theorizing about doing right so the key there is to do and it's in, it's the consistency over the intensity that matters most it's like you don't have to do a whole lot and you don't have to you know be very even all that intense about it but if you can be extraordinarily consistent with it you'll be blown away by how much you can accomplish in a very short period of time Thank you so much to listening to this week's episode of The Dude Therapist. And it only is happening because of you, the listeners, tuning in every week, even twice a week, to this show all about mental health, relationships, and wellness topics. And really, let's be honest, everything in between. And I'm so excited to show up every time and having great guests. So thank you. And if you have any questions, concerns, ideas, collaborations, email me at thedudetherapist at gmail.com. Follow me on Instagram at thedudetherapist. Let me know what you're thinking. Let me know your ideas. I can't wait to hear from you. And if you can go along, subscribe, rate, review on all the streaming sites that you're listening on. I truly appreciate it because that's what makes this thing happen. So thanks for tuning in this week. And see you next time on the Dude Therapist Podcast, because we've got more guests and more great content coming your way.